Um, we're going to turn now to the Word. You can open First Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're in the middle of a series called Sounding Forth or Sound Forth. The faith of the church in Thessalonica had been sounding forth to the whole area. And what began after a few Sundays of the Apostle Paul preaching in their synagogue um, turned into this amazing work of the Holy Spirit that this church sounded forth to the whole like region. And they became known um, after this encounter as a church that was hungry for God to be at work among them. And, and this letter, for the most part, is an encouraging letter. But in, here in chapter 4, we get to um, the word finally. Paul says finally. And he gets to these last two chapters, which in this case is, um, I mean, it's all, it's all like a, a meal. But this is sort of the centerpiece of the meal. And this is why Paul is writing to them, the primary purpose, what, what we're going to see here in chapter 4. Um, just to kind of help us think about what's going to come in this chapter, um, it, it takes me back to uh, when I was in high school, when I was a kid in high school. Often, as you look back on your life, you think of yourself as a kid. When I was in college, when I was a kid, you know, the, the, the term of you think being younger just kind of pushes into almost adulthood in some ways. But when I was a kid in high school, I had this part-time job. I worked as a janitor in um, an oil refinery in Marcus Hook, Pennsylvania, like right over into Pennsylvania, down by the river. And um, my uncle owned a cleaning business, and I was like, this is a great way to make some money after school. So I'd go down there on the school nights and then did this for a couple years. And um, I was exposed to some things at that refinery. First, um, the upside was that um, the, the, uh, the standard of a janitor and an, and an oil refinery is pretty low. So you just go into the bathroom and you move some things around and it's clean. <laughs> so that was the beauty of being a janitor in, a, in an oil refinery. But the downside was, you know, you're a janitor in an oil refinery. You, and as a high school kid, you go in there and it's like the fumes overwhelm you. And literally, we would drive around in a white van and all the cleaning supplies would be in the back. And I'd be with these predominantly men in their 30s and 40s who, this was their life. I mean, this is what they did. And um, I was exposed to some things working with those men. And it was um, interesting. Something kind of cool happened, which was, um, you know, these, these guys, they really struggled. And they, they had kind of had, you know, the, the tough path in life, you know. And they kind of saw something in me and sort of like this innocence of, you know, this high school kid who knows nothing and just kind of coming with us. They, they sort of took me under their wing and just said, look, kind of what we're stuck in here is it's not the best. And um, I got to see some of it, but I also was protected from maybe some of the darker side of it. And um, it, was, it was a sort of an early awakening that I had both of exposure and an awareness of how um, things, in particular sexual immorality, how it can shape us. But, you know, the Lord was good to me at the same time. But we're going to see here that Paul kind of dives deep on this topic, and we're going to talk about it ourselves. So let me read it for us. 
This is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, finally, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Paul says, finally, brothers. The word brothers here is um, where we get uh, Philadelphia, the the city of brotherly love. So many of you know Philo or Philo is love. Adelphia is brotherly in the Greek. And um, it's interesting because it literally means that um, those from the same womb. And um, here... It's important to point out as we sort of go further into the text what Paul means here. Um, When Paul says brothers, he's saying those of us who have been born from the same womb. And he's speaking to many people in this church. So he's not literally speaking to two brothers. He's speaking to the fellowship because they share a womb. They've been born again, spiritually reborn as believers. He's speaking to believers, brothers and sisters. There's there's a footnote in the ESV. It can be translated brothers and sisters because literally it's not brothers. It's from the same womb. And um, this is important as we track through the text because this is an issue that impacts men and women, families, individuals. And Paul is speaking... um, not just to the men. He's speaking to the fellowship, to those who have been spiritually reborn. And he goes on. He's like, this is how you ought to walk. This is, this is how you walk to please God. This is what it looks like. And then he first begins in a very personal area. He says, for this is the will of God. The will of God How many times we talk about, what is God's will for me? If I only knew what God wanted me to do. And when we say that, we're typically wondering, you know, should I go to this college? Should I go to that college? 
Should I take this job? Should I not take this job? It's a good question. Um, you know, should I, should I take this path? It's kind of, when we say, is this God's will for me? Often we're saying, should I take this path? The irony is that when scripture explicitly states God's will for you, it's all about how you be who you are. It, it, it speaks to who you're becoming and who you should be. It has less to do with like the circumstantial, you know, I've kind of bounced around from janitor. I worked at a golf course. <laughs> I was a bus boy. <laughs> I did all this stuff. I had so many jobs because work has been a particular struggle for me. But the Lord in his grace, graceful way has kind of brought me about, you know, engineer, pastor, different things. But in all of that, God worked out who I, who I was becoming, not my profession. Um, and that was just kind of an outpouring of what's God's will. Those are all great things. And I do believe, you know, when we should ask God um, what he wants us to do. Should we buy this car? That's a great question to ask the Lord. But when we think about the will of God, the will of God for the Thessalonica church was that they would be sanctified. If you want to know what the will of God for you is, it's to be sanctified. The word sanctified literally means to, made, to be made pure, that all the impurity would be removed from your life, that you would become holy, that you would become clean, presentable to the Lord. Um, and that's what sanctification is. And that's what God's will for you is. But, but he, he goes on and he starts to describe what this should look like. Um, but why would he begin with sexual immorality? He goes on to say, this is what God's will for you is, that you would be sanctified. And specifically, the way this has worked out is that you would be, um, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, that you would, um, it's a strong word to abstain is to have nothing to do with sexual immorality. The word there, the Greek word is porneia. It's interesting. Um, that anything deprived when it comes to our sexual lives, stay away from it, abstain from it. This is part of your being made holy. <laughs> but why would he speak that way? Um, I mean, on the one hand, you know, these Christians here, these believers, were um, being bombarded with a society that connected religious rights with sexual acts. So it's, um, it's been verified through his, the history that during the time of the Caesars in the Gre- Greco-Roman era, um, there was just this rampant, you know, slavery was out of control, um, sexual brokenness was out of control, and it was all connected into religious rights and um, so it's no surprise that Paul would address this area because the Christians there were trying to stand out and they were relearning how to f- do a life of faith in this terrible context. Um, but I think even a, a stronger reason is, I mean, honestly, if we could be honest, there, could there be a better place to start than our sexual purity when it comes to being made holy? Probably not. I mean, maybe, but 
So when it comes to being holy and set apart, um, it's in areas of sexual purity that we, we, we all have a degree of struggle. I think it's in degrees. Um, I think for any young person to grow up and kind of bounce around in the world and get to the other side of that through adulthood, they're going to they're gonna be bounced around when it comes to either their sexual identity or how they encounter it from others. And even if it's not maybe their own personal struggle, it's not like what they're captivated by, um, we, don't, we don't sort of get through this world without navigating that, no matter who you are. So um, it's an important place where we become more like God. It's one of the places, but it's a really important one. So I'd say if it's not your kind of your primary struggle in life and things are kind of in order for you here, well, number one, it's still a great, great thing to process. But also, I think the concept of being made holy is what is the higher order thing. Paul uses um, sexual brokenness as sort of the place that the lion's share of the people can certainly relate to. So then he goes on. He says, um, control your own body in holiness and honor. Possess your own vessel. Some have wondered, is he talking about how a husband and wife belong one to another in the context of marriage? But really the text leans more toward um, self-control, having self-control in the way that you treat yourself and others in the context of your body, um, your, your vessel. It's the same word that's used when Paul is talking about how we we've, have these jars of clay that have um, taken in this holy thing, and God is perfecting us um, from the inside out. So Paul's saying this, and then he goes on. He says, um, don't wrong your brother. And that's where the word is more broad. It's not how do men impact other men. It's, it's how does sexual brokenness impact um, others within the fellowship and maybe beyond as well. Um, I, had, I got two emails this week from the same website, which I thought was noteworthy. And the website is um, Fight the New Drug, and it, it looks at sexual brokenness as um, a place of addiction culturally, not only in our culture, but in the world. And it, it looks at how to approach this topic from what the impacts are to the brain, to the heart, and then to the world. And it looks at different layers. And one of the articles that was forwarded was about um, young people in Australia and how things have become so out of order in some, of, some places within the younger culture that um, they actually are, are having to learn even how to have like healthy relationships. Um, so in other words, if you think about kind of old-fashioned courting, you know, how you kind of approach someone slowly and you win them over and then places of intimacy come with time and with marriage and with these covenantal thoughts. But it's in some places it's actually been reversed that the, the, the darker broken, intimate places actually sometimes come first so that they're actually um, not even knowing how to have like face-to-face relationship in y- with, within young people. 
And um, though this is a, an extreme example, it, it's something that um, young people in general have to encounter or do encounter in different ways. And people are being hurt in many different ways. Um, but in verse 6, it says, don't do this, don't wrong one another, because the Lord is an avenger of all these things. This is um, an awful warning to the perpetrator and a, and a great hope for the victim, that the Lord is the avenger in these, these places. And then it, I like to underline things sometimes in my Bible. If I was underlining, I'd underline verses 7 and 8. To me, they are sort of the, I don't know, they really pop for me. Um, for God has not called you for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Holy Spirit, it's the third person of the Trinity. Hagias Numa is the Greek Holy Spirit. Numa is spirit, Hagias is holy. And um, the word sanctification, holiness, is hagiasmos. So it's the same word. So when, when um, Paul is saying, this is the will of God for you, that you would become more holy, and the Holy Spirit's already in you. you do you see what he's saying? There's something that's already been placed in you, and now it is being worked out. And that's what sanctification is. Um, we have this... Um, Baptist faith and message that we hand out to new members. It's available in the lobby. It's our doctrinal statement. And it actually defines sanctification. Sanctification is the way a believer is set apart for God's purposes. Sanctification begins at new birth, at being reborn in the spirit um, through the power of Jesus Christ. We're reborn. But the believer grows toward moral and spiritual maturity in time. The believer grows because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit living in him. Growth should continue throughout the believer's life. That's what sanctification is. That would be like the main point of the sermon is that you would understand that principle and the importance of it um, and how it's related to what God is doing in our lives. Um, I think there's uh, part of it to me is this um, reversal that's happening. And, and Paul begins a, in a place on the inside, and then he starts to take the conversation outside. Um, let's look at the rest of the verses just so we see where it goes from here. In verses 9 through um, 12, he starts to look more ex- external. In places that you um, care for one another, that you share brotherly love <laughs> among the fellowship, um, I don't even need to write you. You already know what to do. <laughs> I mean, Jesus said, love one another as yourself. And this is part of the greatest commandment, is to love God with your heart, soul, and your mind, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he even goes on, you're already doing that? Do it more and more. And then, and then he points to the w- places of work with the outsider. The further um, your faith gets worked out on the exterior, um, there's an important thing that's happening there. But it's also worth noting just how much time Paul gives to each of the the spectrum of that. Um, 
the broader heading is how to live a life that's pleasing to God. And if we just look at the content, the content is um, focused on the inside. And the more external it becomes, the less words he uses and the less he has to say in some ways. I think we often get this order in reverse. We can be so fixated um, in how we're perceived externally. Like, what's my character at work? Um, How do I... I can sit down with someone within the church all day long and just be such a great person. But the closer it gets to my family and even to myself is where um, sort of I have to navigate that, yes, the Holy Spirit is in me, but I don't feel very holy in the way that I think, in the way that I behave sometimes. And, and this is where it gets worked out. So we, I think we would do better to um, lock that progression in from the inside out and think of our, our Christian life as something that flows primarily inside out. And the external stuff, it's, it just has to work out. But if that becomes what you fixate on, you'll be sort of trying to work something in reverse. And um, at the heart of this, Paul is getting at this whole amazing thing, which is we become more like God in the process of following him. And it's, it's an amazing thing. In some ways, it's like the reversal of death. We... The physical parts of us are still dying. I mean, right now, all of us are progressively dying. Like, our bodies are just falling apart. Um, and it's painful. And it's tragic in some ways. The, the result of sin is death. But when Jesus came, he, he brought something um, spiritual that gets worked out in the physical life. And this is, this is the challenge of sanctification the working out of God's holiness in our lives. Um, God is trying to take us back in some ways to, to the way things were. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were, they were created to be one before sin came along. Paul didn't say abstain from sexuality or sexual activity. He said abstain from immorality anything that's broken, because that's what's trying to be um, refined and removed in our lives. And it's a battleground because we're still physically dying. Uh, but the Word of God says that as, this, as our bodies waste away, we are being renewed day by day into the image of God. And we should not look to what is seen We should look to what is unseen because the unseen is eternal. What we see is temporary. I mean, let that just rest in on you for a second that if you are a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been placed in you and and God is working out your salvation, many bumps, right? And you're becoming more holy. Like that is actually the progression, the arc that we want to see. And um, I just want to encourage you that this is something good. This is something good that God has placed in you.
and you should pursue it um, with all of the power that's at your disposal um, in the Holy Spirit. I think um, there are some other great passages that sit alongside this this passage very well. Galatians chapter 5 is a beautiful one where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit versus the fruit of the flesh. And we should be um, people of the Spirit walking in step with the Spirit, and this is what the fruit looks like. And yet the, the flesh is there in the battle. Um, that's a good one to look at. But I think more than anything, I'd leave you with um, a few practical thoughts on how to grow in holiness. How do you become more like God when the Holy Spirit is living and active in you? Um, It's certainly a process, but here are some thoughts that I've compiled. This would be, I have five things here. You're welcome to take one or two of them as something that maybe you should sit with this week meditate upon and keep in mind the fact that God is making you holy as the primary concept and take sexual brokenness as kind of um, a way that that gets worked out in your life. It could be other areas for you. But here's number one. Number one is holiness is desirable. To me, I want to say duh after that because, again, when I was in high school, we used to say duh all the time. <laughs> it was like my mom kept saying, stop saying duh, because we would say it to each other all the time, duh, duh. And it's like it was just this terrible word that we would use because it's... But when we think of holiness as something that's good and desirable, it is kind of like duh, of course. But also, um, there are many ways that we our thinking gets out of order, and we have to retrain ourselves. Um, God's holiness is the best thing. It's, it's the best way often that we can talk about it is something that's set apart. It's like we can barely describe it. We can only describe it in relation to what it's set apart from. You know what I mean? Like, God's holiness is set apart from what? <laughs> You know, so we know what it's set apart from, and that's how we describe it. To describe what it is is challenging, and I think because of that, we minimize how beautiful God's holiness is. And then we get all out of whack and confused in living it out. So number one is that God's holiness is desirable. There are many ways that you could under the power of God, train yourself to learn this, to study it, and to allow that to be the catalyst that drives you forward. Um, number two is abstain from immorality. I say that because Paul said it so explicitly to the church. That's what he said. You want to be sanctified? Abstain from immorality. And again, I know in my own life, that's easier said than practiced or done, and yet it is um, what we're called to. I have just a couple thoughts on that. How does that play out? Many different ways. Um, 
I read something recently. It's called the X Plan, and it's for parents with children that have phones and can text. But the, the idea is that your child or your teenager would text you the letter X, and this would say to you that I'm in trouble and I need to get out of this situation. And that's all I can really say right now. But you, and then so, so that what triggers is when you get the X, you can send it to any family member. And okay, I get X. So I call, I say, hey, Billy, um, we got to come get you, gather your stuff. I'm going to be there like in five minutes. And then Billy, you know, he, uh, he just tells his friends, I got to go. Um, so that's, that's a simple, practical thing that we have to have now in our culture with our kids. Um, and it, maybe in some ways it's always been there. I just happen to have some teenagers right now. <laughs> so that's probably the truth of it. But... Um, so abstaining from immorality is, is a difficult idea, and it takes some plans. I have another frustration from the work world. When I was an engineer, um, it, it frustrated me sometimes. I get it now, but as I, it frustrated me that my company didn't put any thought in who it sent to travel together. Um, so the... The, um, the field of engineering, I'm not trying to get into trouble, so I'll just say that, and I think it's awesome the way it is right now. The field of engineering, when I kind of grew up in it, it was still predominantly, I think still is, kind of a man's profession. Um, but there has been a really nice shift, I think, in the whole world, that um, like the engineering profession with women is so much better. And I, I got to see that come alive in my experience as an engineer, more and more women coming into the field. And the challenge with that is, and again, I'm not saying we should go backwards at all, so hear me out. I, ha- I just observed that my company gave no thought to who it sent on business trips together. And, and, and then as I kind of step back from that, I'm like, well, they probably, sh- it's not really their job to do that. They're making money. And of course, companies can be better on this. You know, family-owned companies maybe can think of it differently. But the bottom line is, if you're on a business trip, maybe you have to think about, oh, I'm going to take a different flight, or I'm going to stay at a different hotel, because there's only a few of us going, and it's, it's not a good situation for me to isolate myself. This is when things happen. So to abstain from immorality, even itself, is a process that requires um, thought. The third thing is to meditate on God's word daily. Um, this has been the most helpful for me, for me personally. Um, Psalm 1 talks about, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on this law day and night. There's so many scriptures that talk about coming to the Lord's words in the evening, in the morning. I don't know. I think in the evening, that's, that's, to me, that's a sign. You know? that's, this is when I need to come to it because maybe it's a place of struggle. Um, but meditating on God's word daily, I think, will shape us um, through the Holy Spirit's power to be holy over time. Um, the fourth thing is catch the lie. This is a subtle one. Um, I was, had lunch. We had lunch this past week, or maybe it was dinner, and my um, seven-year-old, no, no, 
Yeah, yeah. My seven-year-old daughter, <laughs> I can't keep track how old my kids are sometimes. My seven-year-old daughter was, um, she had her water bottle, and she had a three-quarter gallon full um, jug of apple cider. And she leaned it onto the lid, and she just announced to the table, if I spill this, it's not my fault. <laughs> she was just announcing, she was making us all culpable that if she spilled her apple cider, and it, it was kind of, she was actually doing a good thing in a way. She was like acknowledging to the table, like, I'm about to do something here that is kind of beyond my capability. And I'm just telling all of you that if I spill, it's all your fault too. <laughs> it just cracked me up. But there's these subtle lies. I wouldn't maybe put that one in that category. Another one happened to me. I called, I called to downgrade my cable and I upgraded my cable <laughs> when, I hung the, when I hung up the phone. <laughs> because they got me. They said, well, this is actually cheaper, and these are free. Well, these premium channels, they, they ain't free. <laughs> There's a cost to the free channels. The, they're premium. They use these words, premium. Well, they're premiumly filthy, too. They didn't tell you that. Um, so there's a cost. So, oh, it's free. Oh, yeah, I should get the free package. I should upgrade. I'm going to click. <laughs> and, you know, it's, then I went online to downgrade. This is true. I went online to downgrade. You can't downgrade online. You can't lower your cable online. You have to call somebody. See, this is, this is the world. And I'm not saying that's evil. They're just good business people. Um, you know, so... Catch the lie, I deserve it. If you ever say, I deserve it, subtly, there's probably a lie somewhere in there. Um, And the last thing is, or on the positive side, um, you are able to be holy. You are able to be holy. The Holy Spirit is what enables you. It's this great enabler. Um, Not in the negative sense of enablement, but in the positive sense of empowerment. Um, the Holy Spirit actually can empower you to live a holy life. Now, we all live, like I said, in this reversal of death, which, again, we're going to struggle. But I think the most important thing is, what is your arc? Are you, being, are you being reversed from death to life in all areas? And that's what Paul is getting at here in this text. Um, So I just want to encourage you with that, uh, that you are able to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll close with another metaphor. Um, There used to be these things. I had to Google it. I didn't know what this thing was called. It's called an auto stereograph. And there's some, some, somebody knows what that is in this room. An auto stereograph is, think of it as like a pixelated image that has some Um, the way the ink is printed on a piece of paper. It just looks like this fuzzy, pixelated mess. But in the image, the way they align the pixels, um, if you stare at it long enough, it actually becomes a 3D image. Okay, these, ironically, this was invented in the late 1800s, but in the 1980s, it became a thing. And there was a Seinfeld episode about it and everything. And um, I had one of these back when I was in high school. It was a, 
I didn't know it was called an auto stereograph, but it was a picture of just a pixelated mess. But if you stared at it long enough, you would see a 3D space shuttle pop out. So I'd take it with all my friends and hold it up. And the best thing about these things was some people could not see it. (laughs) You felt bad for him, but you also felt good because you could see it. And it was really kind of tragic. I think the 3D movies that we have nowadays have sort of done away with these things. But check it out. If you've never seen one, it's an awesome experience when you see it. (laughs) But when you see it, it's like, whoa, there's this 3D depth of a world I can't believe that's there. How did they do that? Um, And to me, this is sort of uh, a good picture of the struggle from like living in the flatness, the 2D of a holy life versus seeing into it. It's kind of mysterious, yet there at our, if we could only see it, it would be this beautiful amazing thing that's even beyond, in some ways, basic explanation. Uh, technically, you could get into it, and sure, you could explain how those things work, but to the mind, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing because you're like, wow, I had no idea that all this was here. And, um, you know, that's just a reminder that, that there is, this is the way that the Lord sets it up, is he does want us to be holy and takes time to live into that. You know, I was sitting around with some older men this past week studying the word. And I say that gently, but they're older than me. And they just said that um, the struggle of holiness, it changes with time, but it's still there. Still there. And in some ways, in more profound ways than it's ever been. Um, And they even wondered, what do you say to a young man? What do you say to a young woman? Um, and we're, we're trying to talk about that. That's why we're talking about it as a church and hitting it because the word hits it. Um, it's an important topic for all of us, young, old. God has called us um, not to impurity, but to holiness. And he's empowered us because the Holy Spirit lives in us for those that are believers. So um, allow me to pray for us. As we close, please bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for the reminder of your scripture today. God, we, um, we sit under its authority, and thank you, Lord, that, that you do specific work in each one of us. And it, in fact, we are not able to be holy simply by imitating good people or people that look good to us. It's a process that involves your active work in our hearts. And that happens, um, Lord, because of your grace. We each one, through Jesus, have received grace upon grace. Now, Lord, if there's someone here, Father, if there's someone here who maybe um, is not like following Jesus in the full sense of the word, pray your grace over them. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes to what it means to be born again, to be um, of this same womb that we share as believers. Lord, that's for you to do in your time. But Lord, I do pray if someone's here that is that has that mindset, pray your grace over them. 
grace upon grace we have received through your son Jesus. Lord, we have received forgiveness. Lord, your word says um, in so many places that we have received such a great degree of forgiveness. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, if you wrote that, them down, Lord, and kept a record, who could stand? But with you is forgiveness. Lord, and I, I pray that over um, people that are struggling with either sexual immorality or other places of being caught up in the bondage of sin and death. Um, and Lord, I know that from what I see in Scripture, that Jesus came to bring victory. And we should live in that victory now, and we should allow it to be worked out in our life. So I pray that for us as your believers, that you would truly be victorious in our lives through Christ. And I ask for that, God, from you through, your, through the power of your Holy Spirit actively working in each one of us. And Lord, if there's something that you want to just impress upon us now, God, in this last little brief moment, Lord, If there's something that you want to um, rearrange in our thinking about your will, God, if you want to remind us of uh, your holiness. God, thank you for speaking. Um, through your word, through um, how we share with one another, and through by speaking through your Holy Spirit to each one of us. We praise you for that, God. And we want to give you all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.